Hey, it is Dan here from the Physiology and Behavior Show. In this episode, I'm sharing some audio from a recent interview that I did on a study that we recently published on uh, anorexia nervosa clinical trial reporting. I hope you enjoy it. We're, we're very interested in, in, in looking at what treatments actually work. And we know that um, anorexia nervosa um, uh, is... Um, uh, one of those conditions, which is which a lot of people have found very difficult to treat, and uh, a lot of the outcomes um, uh, aren't great for for these patients. So, of course, the 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 gold standard at the moment of of how we we investigate the the, the usefulness of any new treatment is by by running a, a randomized control uh, cl- cl- clinical trial. Um, so. That's for, for, for any sort of disorder. That's how we actually understand does a particular treatment work, um, either by comparing it to placebo or comparing it to um, the, the the most common treatment that there is at the moment, um, or tr- tr- treatment as usual is, is is what they would call it. Um, so, so for for, for this particular study, um, uh, one thing that's been done um, when it comes to trials um, is this idea of trial registration. Uh, the reason that we register our trials is that we want to minimize the amount of biases that we as researchers have. These biases can be both uh, implicit and explicit. Um, so, for instance, in the past, what, what has happened is that for a particular investigation, um, there's a number of different outcomes you can use for did this treatment work. You might have different questionnaires. Um, in the context of, of anorexia, it might be um, eating behaviors, or it might be thoughts and feelings around food. Um, and say, say for a, say for a particular uh, particular trial, you're testing new treatment, and if you take um, twenty or thirty of these measures, um, by chance, perhaps one of these measures might actually demonstrate that there is that this new treatment um, actually works or, or, or is beneficial. However, because you've taken so many measures. Um, there is a very, very good chance that this one that you found um, is a fluke. So, in order to actually, in order to guard against that, um, now for a lot of these trials, you pre-register and you say, okay, we have one or two measures that we're very interested in, and, and we predict that this, that for this one particular measure, this treatment is going to give a favourable outcome, and, and and so by doing that. And by registering your prediction, um, that there's a few websites that you can do this. One of the most common ones is clinicaltrials.gov, which is the the the, the, the database that we use. But um, there there is also a, a European equivalent called U- UDRA CT, um, and a lot of a lot of the Euro- a lot of the European studies either use clinicaltrials.gov. But most countries and most authorities have have their own um, clinical trials registration website. Um, and then, and then the idea is that you, before you, um, before you collect any data, you register, you say, this is what we're going to be doing. These are the amount of people we're going to recruit. And these are the main outcomes that we're interested in. And then you run your study. And then when you actually report your study, then you will say, um, we, uh, we predicted, um, that this, that this particular outcome would be favorable. Um, and then you actually refer back to that. Now, if you don't actually have, by having that pre-registered prediction, you actually help reduce any particular bias. So, rather than actually picking one of those 30 studies, then you can say, this is what we predicted. So, what we did for this particular, for this particular study was that we actually had a look 
at uh, clinical trials that were registered on clinicaltrials.gov for various treatments for anorexia nervosa. And we were very interested to see, um, firstly, um, when it came to um, th- th- there's two different options when it comes to registration. You can either do a pre-registration where, like how I described, you predict what's going to happen beforehand. But then, um, what, what you, there, there there is also an option where you can actually register your study after the data was collected, which almost defeats the purpose. So, so we wanted to look at firstly, um, one one issue with with clinical trials research is that. Quite often, people will register a study, um, but then not report what happened. Uh, quite often, I mean, th- th- this can happen for various reasons. Maybe you ran out of money. Um, that that's one good reason. But another reason is you didn't actually get a favorable result for your treatment. And then what happens is you don't publish the result. So without publishing the result, we don't actually know um, whether this treatment works or whether it doesn't, or whether there's evidence that doesn't work. Um, and so. Uh, in order to, uh, and, and that's what's been called a publication bias, in that there's a bias towards only publishing um, positive or favorable results. Uh, and, and and the idea around clinicaltrials.gov and, and all these registry sites is that regardless of your results, uh, you should be publishing a, a summary of what you found because essentially, I, I think it's important to remember um, the public looks at look, looks at these sites if if they have family members who suffer from these illnesses, um, but also doctors and people who who are doing treatment are looking at these sites, and and if and if there's there's no mention of what happened to a trial, we don't know w- whether they ran out of money, whether they stopped. Um, maybe quite often um, there there is a case where the trial stops early because there's so many adverse effects. Um, but but we, we we don't know if people aren't actually updating their their registration. Um, so we wanted to have a look at whether the, what, what the rates of of, of of completion of these trials are, um, uh, whether the actual trials that were completed were were, were, were published because you can actually say on these registration things, oh yeah, the study was completed, but you don't actually have an, any idea what the results were, um, um, and then uh, and and also finally, um, yeah, uh, whether these trials were actually. Um, registered before data was collected or after, and and, fi- and and finally, we also wanted to look at. Um, uh, it's it's really important to demonstrate these effects in these trials, but in order to to have uh, more trust in these results, you want to be able to replicate these findings in other studies. So it's one thing to find something, you know, one research group in in Denmark might find something, um, but then if another research group in Norway finds a similar result, then essentially you replicated the original result. Um, however, very very few of these studies have actually had their primary findings replicated in in other studies. Um, so essentially, doing doing this analysis, it, it it wasn't great news. We didn't actually uh, uh we we found just over two hundred trials um, related to anorexia. On, on this particular database, and of those 200 trials, um, about only half have have been completed, and of those that have been completed, only um, uh, only half of them have actually been published. Um, and then it, it gets worse. Um, of of all those 40 that have been published, only eight actually demonstrated evidence of prospective trial registration. And then I think of, of all the studies, only seven had actually had. Their, their main findings replicated in, in other studies. Um, so, f- f- 
for for us, uh, I would actually think that there would be similar rates for different psychiatric illnesses. Uh, this this isn't something that we've analysed for sure, but um, uh, at least with with uh, anorexia nervosa, because there was only two hundred trials, it, it was quite feasible to go through. I think with other disorders. Um, like depression or schizophrenia, there would be perhaps two thousand trials. It, it, it'd be it'd be a lot more. Um, but th- th- this is this is a demonstration of um, that a lot of people think that clinical trial rest- clinical trial registration is a good thing in that it helps reduce potential biases. But there aren't that many avenues for for journals, um, or th- th- there isn't that many opportunities that it's actually checked out that these. Um, people will actually report what they did. Um, quite quite a lot of times, what what happens is people will actually do what's called outcome switching, in that they'll say this this is our primary interest. We will, the measure A is what we're very interested in when they register. But then they analyze their results and they actually figure out well, uh, outcome A didn't work that well, but outcome C that worked really well. And then when they and then when they report their paper, they actually switch what they originally said they were going to do. And then out- magically, outcome C becomes a primary outcome measure. Um, so that, and, and that, happens quite, um, that happens quite a lot. Um, we, didn't, we didn't specifically analyze that um, in, in our study, um, but o- other people, um, there's, um, there's a researcher or a group of researchers from the UK led by uh, Ben Goldacre, who, um, who's done a lot of work in this kind of stuff, who have gone through and actually found there were, there were staggeringly high rates of um, of what's called outcome switching, um, and it happens quite a lot. Um, yeah, so this 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 is this is quite a big uh, quite a big problem, and quite often people take these clinical tr- trials at face value, and they say, "Well, this result has been demonstrated in a clinical trial, therefore it is trustworthy." But when you actually look a little bit deeper, we can see that it's not necessarily trustworthy. We actually have to take a closer look to see was this trial actually registered um, before. The collection of data, and is the registration um, uh, consistent with 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 what's reported in the paper? Um, and finally, has this um, has this result actually been replicated? Of course, replication takes time. Um, but um, if a study's been published ten years ago, you would hope someone else has actually replicated and found similar results. The journals and the reviewers and the editors need to more carefully assess whether um, clinical trial registration is actually consistent. Um, with what's reported, um, but at the same time, there there is actually a new publication format um, which has 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 emerged over the past few years, which helps eliminate this problem. and And this format is called the the the, the registered reports format. What happens is with with these registered reports is that um, before you actually collect data, you send your introduction and your method, so your rationale and your methods of what you're going to do. You send that to the journal, and the journal and the reviewers assess the um, the assess the study before any data is collected. Um, and and th- th- this is fantastic because by by doing this, it actually removes publication bias. Because if your registered report, if your if your methods and your rationale is accepted, um, that ba- that that provides in principle acceptance. So no matter what your results are. For, for data collection, the journal is going to publish the um, the is, is going to publish the results regardless. And it, what it also means is um, it's 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 much much easier for the reviewer to actually say, well, this is exactly what they said they were going to do, and then you can easily match that 
against what the results are and what the conclusions are. So, this registered reports format, it's been adopted. um, Over 200 journals have now adopted registered reports. Nature Human Behavior is probably the most prominent, at at least within my field, is probably the most prominent journal which has done that. Uh, BMC Medicine, I believe, has also taken that up. Um, And eLife. Um, so those are some prominent. Um, so it's it's been more popular in the behavioral sciences, but it's also becoming more and more popular in in medicine, uh, in political science. Um, essentially, any any sort of science that has hypothesis driven research. And this is this is a, a fantastic initiative. Um, we I've 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 been a peer reviewer for for two of these registered reports. Um, and it's it's a fantastic way of potentially um, re- uh, it's a fantastic way of reducing bias and helping solve this issue that we noticed that um, that a lot of these studies aren't published because you were you were, you were compelled and not not compelled but the journal will publish your results regardless of of of, of your results so yeah it, it's a fantastic way of actually reducing publication bias so for me this is how we're going to solve it but unfortunately. Um, it's. I mean, I, I think the 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 uptake has, has has been quite impressive, but we need more and more journals, um, particularly journals that that people see as prestigious medical journals, to 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 adopt this. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Physiology and Behavior. Make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast app so you don't miss any future episodes. Bye for now.